Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. seated. It is so good to be here. If you'd open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 3. On my vacation, I took the last four days just to get alone to be by myself. The whole family that I was with did not understand that. They could not understand why I wouldn't want to be around them, but I said, I just need a break. So I got away for about four days and went to the Creole River in, in, uh, in the hill country. Had a blast. It was just me and the Lord and the dog. Uh, I heard from both of them uh, this week. Right outside the cabin, there's a lazy, clear, cozy, easy-going river called the Frio River. Clear, you look down, and people intertubing, relaxing, just floating down the river. So I got to sit out every day and look at that and read my Bible and pray, and then a rainstorm came in. And that lazy, cozy, gentle river became a rushing river of mud. It, it was so bad that it came up to the top of the banks there. People weren't even getting in the river because of how fast and rushing the river was. As I, I was there, I was going through the Old Testament. I went through the whole Old Testament and looked at God's activity with his people. And, and I, 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 have, I have about 10 sermons in me today, okay? So just pray for me. I, I, I narrowed it down on this one. It's thinking about that river there under the flood. It, it took me back to Joshua chapter 3 where the children of Israel come up to the Jordan River, which was just like the Frio. It was at flood stage, a rushing river. And God challenges the people to take a step of faith. So let's look at this passage this morning. Chapter 3 in Joshua. Joshua started early the next morning and left the acacia grove with all the Israelites, and then went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. And after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it. Now the ark of the covenant was what God had had the children of Israel build and place in the holy of holies, and, and that would be the place where the mercy seat was, where the the blood was placed on the Day of Atonement every year, and the priests would go in there. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that in the Ark of the Covenant, there was Aaron's rod that budded in a, 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 a container of manna and also the tablets of the covenant. And so as the priests carried those in the river, the Bible says that Joshua is to tell the people to follow it. But keep a distance of about a 1,000 yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Significant. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Isn't that a good word? Then he said to the priest, take the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. And the Lord spoke to Joshua, verse 7, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Moses has given Joshua the, the mantle. He's passed the baton. 
God has told Moses because of, of a one act of pride, he didn't get to go into the promised land, but Joshua's going to be the man. But God says, I'm going to do wonders so that they'll all know that I'm with you as I was with Moses. He says, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. And Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. I like that. Come closer and listen. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, all the ites. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. I love that. The Ark of the Covenant of the Master of the Universe is going to go ahead of you. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. And, and later the story says that those men were to take a stone representing each tribe. And that's how he uses those leaders. When the, when the, the feet of verse 12, 13, right? Is that where I am? Okay. When the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, the waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. When they step in the water, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. Flood stage, all right? But as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, the city near Zarethan, next to Zarethan. And the water flowing downstream to the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. The, the Bible says the water stopped, and going downstream it was dry, going to the Dead Sea. The people crossed opposite Jericho. The priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. I love that. He says, you stand firm, and I'm going to have the water stand firm. And while Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. God says to them, it's time for you as the people of God to take a step of faith. Seven truths this morning that I want to share with you. Number one, God is constantly leading his people into new territory. God is constantly leading his people into new territory. This group of people, these individuals of the nation of Israel, a couple of million of them, are now at a place where they've never been before, and God is challenging them, I want you to go ahead. This is the land, he says, where you're going. I'm taking you to new places where you've never been before. Constantly challenging us to do that. God called them to a land, a promised land, flowing with milk and honey. He told them, I will guide you through the desert with a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud lifted, they traveled. And when the cloud stopped, they stopped. And God led them, always, constantly going through the wilderness to that place. Tell you what, the people of God being led to new territory needed to follow him. We want to follow God, don't we? we? We want to say, God, whatever that new territory is, it may be physical, it may be geographical, it may be spiritual, but Lord, we're, we're here, we're on board. We want to follow you and not have our own plan, our own purpose. We don't want to be like the airline pilot who came on the intercom and he said, folks, I've got bad news and good news. Okay, the bad news is we're lost. The good news is we're making great time. We want to follow him. Coastal Oaks finds us at a place where we need to expand, we need to grow, we need more parking, we need new meeting uh, facilities. We're there. We're at that place where God says, Coastal Oaks, you got this great worship center now, let's move on to some new territory. The more I talk to people, the more 
even our expansion development team, as we get into the nuts and bolts of how we're going to do this, it becomes a little overwhelming. I read someone said that if you feel underqualified and overwhelmed, then you're right where God wants you. You feel underqualified and overwhelmed? Sometimes we do. As a church, to, to know the challenge God has given us, that's where we are. God's constantly pushing us as a church to have a new vision. By the way, when God calls us to a new vision, he always makes provision. Have we learned that? I think we have. Number two, God prepares his people for their next challenge. He doesn't just constantly push us on to new territory to take a, a new advance, but he's always preparing his people for the next challenge. The whole wilderness experience was preparing them. God says he left people in the land so that they would be prepared to fight the other people and the nations that would come against them. Preparing his people. The Bible says in verse 5 there, Joshua told them, Consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate just means to, to prepare your heart, to purify, to make yourself clean, to confess before the Lord your sin. In other words, he says spiritually you need to be ready for what I'm about to do in your midst. He sends the Ark of the Covenant, verse 3, ahead of them. And I love verse 10. It says, then you will know when the Ark goes ahead of you and I work this mighty wonder, you will know that, that, that I am the God, the living God, and I am among you, and I will certainly dispossess the Canaanites and all the other heights. God says, I'm going to get your heart ready. You're going to be prepared for this thing. God, when we, when we started in the journey, God used the care and share ministry to prepare our hearts by faith. We started out by saying, God, we've got a family over here that needs a washing machine. And we said, God, would you provide? And God provided that. Here's a family that needs a car. Here's a guy that needs a job. Here's somebody that needs a new a mattress. And, and we, by faith, God prepared us for trusting him to be our provider. And then we had a, several thousand dollars in indebtedness. And God showed us how if we would trust him, he would retire that debt. And then the building came. And, and step by step by step, we watched God show himself to us. He prepared us for the next challenge. So when we got to the big challenges of this building and the big price tags that came, and everything logistically that it took to make this happen, he had been preparing us, just like he prepared the children of Israel, making provision. God prepares his people for the next challenge. We believe as a church, we know what at least the next immediate challenge is. We think God's been preparing our hearts for that. I love the story. There's a Swedish island, of, it's called Visinjo. There's a mysterious forest of oak trees there. Those oak trees are not indigenous to that island. The Swedish Navy got a, a notice from the lumber people from the Forestry Service saying, your trees are ready for lumber. And they were puzzled. They had no idea what was going on. They started investigating. They found out that 150 years before that, the Swedish Navy anticipated the need to build some more ships down the road toward the, the end of the, the uh, the century and so what they said was let's let's plant some oak trees and it's going to take about a hundred years for them to grow so let's plant them there and those oak trees grew and the word came your lumber's ready and I thought there, there's some people that planned ahead we got a lot of oak trees around here we're going to be having to take some of them down but I just thought that story illustrates that God God puts in the hearts of people to prepare for something he wants to do down the road there's a whole nother sermon here but but the next generation is the generation that's going to reap the benefit of some of the prices and sacrifices that we pay. Is that all right with you? Is that all right with you if our kids and grandkids can, can worship in a place, can be in a community that's transformed because some of us paid the price ahead of time? I think so. God prepares us. I think he's got us at that place. Number three, that next challenge may be a new experience. 
for this generation. That new challenge that he pushes us to may be a new experience for this generation. It's so interesting to me. I remember as a new Christian when I finally discovered that the generation that went into the promised land was not the generation that came out of Egypt. It blew my mind. I thought they came out and they wandered around a while and they got to go in. If you'll look with me, we don't have time, but we're going there anyway. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 13 tells how they they, uh, sent the spies into the land when they first got there. And how the spies came back and there was a, a positive report from Caleb and Joshua. They said, we can take the land. But the other spies said, no, we can't do it. And they listened to the majority. By the way, they were wrong. Verse 20 in chapter 14. Listen to this. The Lord responds, I have pardoned them. Because Moses prayed for the people that God would spare them. As you requested, yet as surely as I live, as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me, none of them will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. He goes on to say Caleb and Joshua will. Because of their disobedience, that generation died off in the desert. So this new generation in Joshua chapter 3, this new generation hasn't experienced the exodus. They didn't see the parting of the Red Sea. This generation, all they know of is the wilderness. And God says, I'm about to take you to a new place. This generation needs to see me work. As I've talked to people about the journey at Coastal Oaks, more and more people are members of this church and attending this church who aren't a part of the journey. The journey was our plan to get out of debt and build this building. That's what we used. That was our theme. And so many people I talked to, they said, well, I really wasn't there for all of that. Can I still get into what God's doing? Just like the children of Israel. God says, it's time for the next generation to experience it. It's time for the next generation. I'm not talking about young people necessarily. I'm talking about people that didn't go through the journey with us. Those of our new folks, it's time for us to experience the encounter. That, that next challenge is going to be something exciting for this generation. Number four, are you staying with me? You're spoiled because you don't have fill in the blanks today. But um. <laughs> Number four, God's people follow God-directed leadership. God's people Follow God-directed leadership. Now, that's a statement, and that's a promise, and that's a request, and that's not saying you better follow God-directed leadership. That is saying if you're the people of God, you will follow only God-directed leadership. You won't follow the guy that says, I want it my way. Let's do it this way. You'll follow the guy or the people or the individuals or the team or the committee or whatever that says we want what God wants. Back in chapter 14, I'm sorry, Numbers 27 now. We were there in 14. Numbers 27. The Bible says, The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man who has his spirit, the spirit in him. Lay your hands on him. Verse 20. Confer him some of your authority so the entire Israelite community will obey him. It says the entire Israelite community followed him. Verse 22. He took Joshua had him stand before Eleazar the priest, the entire community, laid his hand on him and commissioned him as the Lord had spoken through Moses. A God-ordained, God-appointed, God-given leader to take the people to follow God's plan and purpose. I tell you what, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he had no idea how God was going to provide through the wilderness. Any more than Joshua knew specifically how God was going to provide for them to take the land. But they were obedient and they followed God and the people followed the leadership that was there. I love all through this passage, 
God says in verse 7, back in uh, Joshua 3, I will exalt you. Then all Israel know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. I'm not crazy about the translation of the word exalt there. But basically he's saying, Joshua, I'm going to put you in a place where the people, you'll be, you'll be in a sense seen to the people as they look to Moses. My spirit in you as it was in him. And then he says, follow. Follow the priests. Follow the Levites. Choose 12 men from among you. Choose some leaders, and they're going to be responsible for taking those stones and placing them in the new land. Choose leadership, God-given, wise leadership, and follow. I'm confident, and I'm thankful that Coastal Oaks has done that over the years. But they've said, we want what God wants, and we want to follow the people who want what God wants. Number five. Okay, now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. Okay, you ready? God-sized tasks require Stepping out in faith. God-sized tasks require stepping out in faith. I tell you what, I just saw the Frio River, which was where I was about as wide as maybe where I was, this section right here, at flood stage. I wasn't about to put my foot in that water. The Jordan River was bigger, wider, more, more water coming through there. And he says to the priests, you stand in the Jordan. One translation says in verse 8 there, take a few steps into the water. Verse 13 says, when the feet of the priests got in the water, then the waters parted. Then the waters stood still. Then the Jordan dried up. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather have God part the water first. Then I'll step in on dry ground. Folks, that's not faith, is it? That's a God-sized challenge, the Jordan River at flood stage. A lot of Christians spend their whole Christian life on the wrong side of the Jordan waiting for God to part the water, waiting for God to give them some dry ground so they can step out in faith. And God is saying, put your foot in the water. That's when the water stops. John Maxwell says, a ship in a harbor is safe. That's not what ships were made for. A church that just does status quo, stays the way we are, and says, thank you, God, for this great place we have for us four and no more, that's not what churches were created for. Did you know that? Do you know God didn't leave the church here so we could worship together and love on each other and love the choir and love the worship team and just, just have warm fuzzies? God didn't leave us here for that. The Bible says the commission is for us to reach the people who, who don't know him. Stepping out in faith, not a ship in a safe harbor. I love what John Ortberg says. He says, it's not a matter of us trying to have more faith. I don't know whose that is, but I'm ready for it to stop. There we go. It's not an issue of us having more faith, but it's an issue of us saying, God, I want to get to know you more. I want to get to know you better. Because God is faithful. The better you know him, the more you can trust him. And that's the way you know that he's trustworthy, because you risk obeying him. I love that. How do we know God's a trustworthy God? Because we have stepped out in faith time after time again, and God has moved in, and God has shown us that he's God who can provide. This afternoon at our business meeting, the Expansion development team is going to make a presentation for the encounter, and, and they're going to ask the congregation to take a step of faith. They're going to say, this is, this is what the challenge is ahead of us. And I'm confident that we're going to respond, because that's a God-sized challenge. And the more we discover that's involved in chopping down trees in this community, it's even more of a God-sized challenge. And rather for us to step back and say, it's going to cost this much money to move that or change that or chop that down or replant that, instead of wringing our hands and saying, oh no, what are we going to do? We need to say, wow, God, you've got us at a place where we've got to put our feet in the water. 
and trust you. Folks, God owns all those trees. He owns the property next door and the property back there. He owns these buildings. He knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Number six, stepping out in faith requires commitment. Requires commitment. See, they just didn't step in the Jordan. They stood in the Jordan. Now, I don't know. I I would have been overwhelmed to put my foot in the water. But then once the water starts backing up and there's a wall of water, to go ahead and step in more and more. And and you say, well, hey, we know God can do that because he did it at the Red Sea. They didn't. All they heard was the stories about how God had had done it. He did it and done it. That's all they knew. To stand, he says, stand in the river. Takes commitment to do that. Because I tell you what, once we step out in faith, you know this personally, we know it as a church. That's where it seems like sometimes everything falls apart. Say, God, I don't understand. He says, just stand right there and wait for me. If you'll stand still, the water will stand still. That's that's what God is saying. We're going to begin the process if the church approves what the committee, the team is going to recommend to to put together a negotiating team to try to purchase some of this land next door, try to transform some of the land we have. It's going to require commitment. It's not just going to be, yeah, let's do it, but it's going to be, I'm here. I'll share the story with you. Um, I was in a church where the church voted to relocate. I wasn't the pastor, I was just a member. And, and the, the, the leadership said, we want what God wants. Let's vote God's will. And, and they all voted, let's relocate. And when it came time to relocate, a bunch of the key leadership of the church didn't move with them. They found other churches where they were. And those leadership, the leadership was approached and said, I thought you voted to, trans, to, to, to move and relocate. And they said, yeah, we believed it was God's will for this church to relocate. We just didn't think it was his will for us to go with it. And that says to me, they lacked the commitment to take the step out and get out there. By the way, it was, it was uh, tragic consequences for that church. We need to stay committed once we say, God, here we are. By the way, that's where God works those wonders. When you step out and it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I am overwhelmed. God shows up. Like one author says, I can't wait to see what God has up his sovereign sleeve. The need for persistence when we step out in faith. I read about Jonas Salk, who created the polio vaccine, who discovered it. 200 attempts to come up with a polio vaccine, all were unsuccessful. He finally discovered it. Somebody asked him, said, well, how did it feel to fail 200 times? He said, oh, I was taught not to use the word fail. He said, I just found 200 ways not to have a polio vaccine. Folks, that's the attitude, isn't it? To say, God, here we are, we're ready, and if it doesn't work, we're still walking with you. We're committed to this. A study was done recently with Japanese children and American children. The, the statistics were coming back with standardized math ch- tests that the Japanese scored higher than the American kids. And so this, these researchers took first graders and gave them a very difficult puzzle. It said, work this puzzle. And, and they watched the kids, and they timed them, and they did all their strategy stuff. And the American kids stopped trying after about 10 minutes. The kids from Japan stopped trying about after 15 minutes. 40% longer. 40% more Japanese kids were able to work the puzzle. And they said it wasn't because they were smarter. It's because they just stayed with it longer. I'm not smarter, but I'm committed to stay with it longer. 
There are a lot of people smarter than I am. There are a lot of churches more uh, able to do what God's called us to do. But I tell you what, this is, this is what God wants to use, right? To say, God, we're going to stay with it. We don't know any better. But to trust you. You ready for number seven? The greatest challenges provide the greatest opportunities for God to show off. I borrowed that last phrase from my wife. That's the way she prays. God, would you show off today? God, in this situation, in this tragedy, in this crisis, we just want you to show off. Show yourself. Look at verse 10 again. We'll just stop with verse 10. He said, you will know that the living God is among you. When the Jordan River opens up and there's dry ground and you get to step out, then you will know that the living God is among you. Mark Batterson says, if you've never had a God-sized dream that scared you half to death, then you haven't really come to life. If you've never been overwhelmed with the impossibility of your plans, then your God is too small. I like that. Folks, that's, that's where God wants us, to be at this place where we have this dream to reach this community for Christ and, and expand and reach more people, and it, it, it can be overwhelming, but God says, that's where I step in and show up. We're not sure how it's all going to be, how it's all going to come together, but we're putting together what we believe is a plan to start that, and we're going to trust him. I'll tell you what, I, I, again, I'm going to stop, I promise. But Coastal Oaks, I believe, we are, at the, we are at the edge of the river. And God is saying, man, look back at what I've done in your life, church. It has been incredible. I have worked wonders in the life of this church. And he has. We could go on for hours with the testimonies of how God, had provide, how God has provided and healed and, and worked in our lives and healed marriages and changed things. But here's what God is saying. That's all good, but I don't want you to live back there. Because there's a river now. You need to put your feet in it. You need to trust me again because I want to show off. There's a story about Dallas Theological Seminary. Back in the early days when it was just started, Lewis Sperry Schaefer was the president, and it was the 1929 commencement time. And, and as they were getting ready for that, he called the staff, the faculty in his office, and he said, Gentlemen, he said, We're about to go bankrupt. If we don't have money, we're going to close this school down after this commencement. And so all the faculty got together and they prayed. And Harry Ironside, the great preacher, was a part of that, that group. And, and, and this is what Harry Ironside prayed. He said, Lord, we know that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. Please sell some and send it our way. Isn't that great? There's a knock on the door. Schaefer's secretary walks in and says, sorry to interrupt, but I need to hand you this note. And he opens up the note and he says, Harry, God just sold some cattle. Someone had donated $10,000 to the seminary. That's a lot of money in 1929 to keep that thing open. And there's a couple of stories. One story is that an Illinois banker sent that money to the school, but I like the other story better, that a Texas cattle rancher <laughs> sold a couple of carloads of cattle and donated it. Folks, he owns everything. Let's trust him. Tell you what, the rubber meets the road right here, though. If you know Christ as personal Savior, he owns you. And if you don't know him, he wants you to know him. Will you pray with me?